If you have not met um, Matt and Faith, they're the ones who just read to us and they're um, new this year on the staff with Campus Outreach, so they'll be very involved in lunch today. Um, I want to talk about 1 Samuel chapter 3 today, and I want to... I want you to think about hearing God. What does it mean to hear God? And how do people hear God? And when did you begin to hear God? And are you, are you hearing God now? Um, there's a line there that I think is very precious, and I hope that all of you would one day or have already would be able to utter these words. Samuel, in response to God, said, Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. I can't think of a more life-changing thing that you could say, if you actually mean it, than to call upon God and say, speak, Lord. I'm finally ready. I'm listening. I want to do your will. Um, As I look back over my life, I believe that I had several encounters with God that led to my conversion and God's call upon my life. Like several times before, I didn't really recognize what was happening, but God was beginning to work over several years, many years of my younger life, where I believe was leading to my conversion. And I consider those to have been encounters with God. I didn't quite understand it yet, but let me share with you a few of those. I recall a time when I was a boy, when we used to have something called Revival Week at First Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia, and something struck me as a child during those moments that God must be mighty and great. That's about all I got. He must be mighty and great. And early on, I kind of felt that pressure. Wow, I need to do something about this. But I didn't. Um, I just remember this feeling that I didn't really know what was going on and what was being said. But it felt important. That's all, that's all that I knew. And then something later, I remember when I was younger... Um, I remember one time, and this may seem odd to you that I would remember this, and it kind of seems odd to me, but it was another one of those moments where I was beginning to think about the, the um, reality, the truthfulness that God existed. And I remember a time as a kid swinging on a swing, and um, we lived um, by the lake, on the lake, and so I could swing on the swing and see the lake. And I just remember one day as a child... I can picture myself, I picture the tree next to that, the swing set and the view of the lake, swinging, looking up at a beautiful sky and just in a childlike way making songs to God. And I just felt there was something natural about being out there in God's world that was like uh, sort of at an early point kind of summoning me. It's like this a great God who made everything. I didn't really understand what to do about it. Several years later, I remember an altar call when I was a, a boy and my parents were divorced and I went to church one time with my next door neighbor and, and I remember there was this thing called an altar call and, and I felt something stirring within me and, and so I wanted to come forward and, and did and I don't think I really understood the gospel quite yet at that time, but it was part of my journey. It was part of another encounter with God where God was just planting seeds, planting seeds through my life. And then I remember middle school. I remember middle school when I had my first atheist science teacher, Mr. Bradley. 
And I remember this feeling because I wasn't a Christian, but I, I believed in God and I had this feeling that I wasn't equipped to answer Mr. Bradley's arguments, but I felt troubled. I felt very troubled by what was happening as he was talking, that if he was right, then, some, then everything unraveled and it left a painful ache to answer to be able to answer his attack upon God. I just remember being in that classroom going, whoa, whoa. If, the, if this is true, then I, even as a middle schooler, I felt like the foundation of everything was shaking. I remember this feeling. I was in uh, seventh grade, and I just kind of remember feeling, wow, if Mr. Bradley's right, I just felt uneasy. It's like, he doesn't believe there's a God. And I just remember feeling in my heart that that couldn't be right. I, but I was also a little bit terrified because I wasn't able to answer, wasn't about to um, try to object. I just sat there and listened. And then I remember what I consider the most powerful encounter I had with God prior to my conversion. The most powerful encounter with God before I actually became a Christian. And I was 14, camping out on an island, 14 years old, drunk and vomiting. And I felt the despair of a black soul. And right then and there, I began to seek God. Although I had no idea what was actually happening. I didn't know that it was God I was seeking. I just knew. I just knew. I'm not right. And I did know that God was the answer. I just didn't know how to connect it all. And for the next month. For. Actually I can remember a month. And three days. For a month and three days, God was beginning to take me down into my despair and give me glimpses of hope. And a month and three days later, I was involved in a deadly car crash. Someone I loved very much was killed in that car crash. And I realized in the midst of that tragic moment that God was calling me to give my crumbling life into his strong hands. And I consider all those encounters to be part of the process where God was speaking to me. Multiple encounters, many more that I didn't understand, many more that I wasn't, I didn't really have the eyes to see and the heart to understand what God was doing, but God was working in my life. And I wonder if many of you could see Looking backwards to the point of your conversion, you could see that there were many encounters that the only way to understand and rightly interpret what was going on in your life was that somehow the hand of God was involved. Now, before becoming a Christian, you might not have had any grid to interpret it that way. But after becoming a Christian, you look back and go, I can see God was busy beginning to call me and pull me and summon me into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. God is always working, always speaking. He speaks through the very world in which we live. He speaks in nature. He most clearly speaks in scripture. 
but he also speaks in nature. And you may wonder, how does God speak in nature? And that's called God reveals himself in nature, would be referred to as natural revelation. God revealing himself in nature through his creation, through his handiwork. You can tell a lot about an artist by the artwork. You can tell a lot about people sometimes uh, by the car they own. Now, they might not have anything to do with the car they're driving. um, But if they get to pick their car and paint it and fix it up or do whatever they, you know, they pick a certain thing. Sometimes you can tell people by the things they're involved with, by their clothes they wear, by the way they dress, by things they say, um, by relationships they have. And we can learn a lot about God by His creation and His handiwork. In Psalm 19, 1 to 4, it says the heavens or the sky or the creation The heavens, God's handiwork, declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So, I want us to now consider the story about Samuel and how it was that Samuel began to hear, and how Samuel was led to that point of conversion in his life when he called upon God and surrendered his life to God. So the first thing, there's four things I want to, uh, statements I want to make. Number one, there are many dark times in history when there is little interest in God. There are many dark times in history where there's very little interest in God. And Samuel was living in one of those times. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. It is giving the context. Here was Samuel serving at the tabernacle of God. And it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There, were, there was no frequent vision, which means God wasn't speaking in a clear and um, obvious way. And people weren't receiving or interested in God's Word. It was a dark time. Have you ever wondered why, if you've ever studied history, especially if you've studied church history, there's a whole period of history that's sometimes referred to as the Dark Ages. And the Dark Ages really refers to, or the Medieval Ages, but the Dark Ages reveals, refers to a time in a history when the church had grown a lot and there was a lot of interest in the things of God, and then it went through a darker period where people were not interested in God. And it was called the Dark Ages because it was spiritually dark. It wasn't that the sun wasn't shining very brightly during that period. It's that the light of the gospel wasn't penetrating people's hearts. So sometimes it's referred to the dark ages. If you read through the Bible, you'll find that there were dark periods constantly. Every time something good happened, afterwards would follow a dark period. It's like revival would come and the people would get excited about God and then they would um, decline and they would become apathetic or maybe God would bless them. They became lazy spiritually or indifferent and they moved toward decline then God might come again and bring revival and then they would move towards decline again and then there would be this cycle over and over in, all through the Bible. 
of spiritual climbing and then a dip because the people became um, comfortable and casual in their walk with God. And that's the time when Samuel was born. Samuel lived in such a time. And I wonder if we're not in such a time. I wonder if we're in such a time when people are not very interested in God. Large numbers of people are not interested in God. I wonder if there is need for revival in our day. How would you assess if there's a need for revival? One of the things you would look at would be, is there a rise in evil? And would you feel that there's a rise in evil? Do you feel that things are happening that are troubling? And do you feel disturbed at times? And, and you see, is there... I mean, what are some of the indicators that you would go, man, we need a move of God? Could it be things like people giving up their children because they're unwanted and just terminating a child in a mother's womb? Is that not evil? Could it, be, could it be a sexual revolution where people treat sex no different than driving through Hardee's and getting a biscuit? It's like, hey, I want a biscuit. Drive through Hardee's, get a biscuit, and you move on. That's the way our culture treats sexual relationships. And God says that it's unique and special and very handled with care. And people don't handle it with care. And, and I see it in this sexual, sexualized, highly charged sexual culture we live in. And young people are told, they're even told, pity the person that doesn't get to enjoy sex. Pity the person that doesn't get to have multiple. I remember the story of a girl being interviewed and she felt sorry for people. She felt sorry for people that got married and they'd never experimented with sex before marriage. It's just like, I feel sorry for people that haven't had these experiences. It makes you better for marriage. That was her take on it. So this makes you better for marriage. It destroys marriages. I see situations where crime just happens and goes unpunished. We're, we're watching that kind of attitude in our world right now where people can destroy things and I can go destroy your property and I might get one night in jail. I can lie and steal and cheat. I, we live in a time where, I'll be honest, I can watch almost any news outlet and sit there and wonder, is that true? I can watch both sides. There's really two primary um, news approaches to the news. And I can watch one and I go, I don't know. And then I watch the other one and I go, I don't know. And then I sit there and go, how will I know? And I feel like, You just don't know if you trust anybody. And truth doesn't seem to to be that important. I feel like we need a revival. Do you have any suggestions for a revival? Do you have any ideas? Do you have any, any suggestions in what we can do? 
What can we do? Well, there's one, there's a couple of things that the Bible tells us to do, and two of those things are real simple is humble ourselves. What it means to humble ourselves, it means we don't think that we're better than anybody else. Humble ourselves is like, Lord, start with me. Humble myself says, Lord God, when I look around and I see the evil in the world, start with me. And we humble ourselves. And then it says, call upon the Lord. And we begin calling upon the Lord. I don't know if this is going to fit your schedule. But can I I tell you two things that we're doing? Um, And again, I'm not, this is not, I'm not telling anyone I think you need to be there if you're really spiritual. Because some of you wouldn't be able to be there because of your, your schedule. But on Friday mornings... In the chapel at 6 a.m., I'll meet with anybody that wants to come pray for revival. I'm there on Friday mornings. And sometimes it's 2 and sometimes it's 10. Most of you probably didn't even know about it, so I'm just kind of letting you know. If there's ever a Friday morning you say, I want to come and I want to I pray for revival. I want to come and be part of that. If you could, I think that's one of the keys to revival as the people of God begin to pray. And that's not the only time. We have people that pray on Wednesday nights. We have people that pray here on Sundays. We have people that pray at home. People pray in their life groups. But that's the primary emphasis of that prayer time is, Lord God, would you be so kind and gracious to bring revival to our land, to our church? We just pray, oh God, revive our church. Revive us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, there's some walls that need to come down for people in their lives. We pray for you to have revival. We pray for revival in your family, for your walk with God, for your kids. We cry out to God like, Lord God, there's people that need to be saved and nothing's happening. Would you, would you stir their hearts? Would you, would you do something powerful in our church? Well, it was a dark time and God was raising up someone named Samuel. God is always moving His agenda forward to give the nations to Jesus. Do you know what God's agenda is? Do you know God's agenda is to give the nations to Jesus? And I think of texts like Psalm chapter 2, which describes the nations who fight against the Lord's anointed. It's like all the nations. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like it's everybody versus Jesus? Do you know why you feel that way? Because it is. Jesus represents truth. Jesus represents God. And there's only one other side. There's only two sides. You may say, oh, there's many sides. No, there's only two sides. And that is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. So there is Jesus and Satan. There's God and the devil. And there's these two sides. And Psalms chapter 2 describes these two sides. And it says, wow, all the leaders of the earth have joined forces against the anointed of Jesus. They don't, some of them don't know that. They don't claim that. Some of them would deny that. Some of them might even say they love Jesus. But there are people that oppose the work of God and advancing the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in Psalm chapter 2, God tells us that the Lord Jesus is the king. And one day, one day he's going to, the, the nations will be given to him. And that's his agenda for the world. You're living in a world. You're right now living, working, breathing, sleeping, parenting, schooling, educating in a world that belongs to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. And Jesus is working towards His kingdom. 
And you're either going to work for Jesus or against Jesus. That's the only two options. You're either for Jesus. You may say, well, I haven't really made up my mind about Jesus yet. Well, then you're working against Jesus. I don't know if you understand that. It's important. That's why I want to let you know. There is no neutral ground. At some point, you're going to have to make a decision. And I'm convinced the sooner you choose Jesus, then the sooner you're going to find out how exciting it is to work towards something that's eternal. And Jesus is moving his agenda forward to give the nations to Jesus. And this is the will of God and nothing can prevent it from happening. I want you to think about the Great Commission. Go into all the nations and make disciples. This is our work to advance the agenda of Jesus forward so that Jesus can rightfully be enthroned as the king of the universe and king of the world. And and the Great Commission compels us to get involved. And and then there's these worship scenes in the book of Revelation, especially chapter 4 and 5. But the whole book of Revelation is a picture of the coming glory when Jesus reigns and is seated upon his throne and everyone begins to worship and acknowledge Jesus. That's not happening right now, but that's where we're going. This is, what's, is that this is what is beginning to unfold and transpire. And I want you to think about God's promise all the way back in Abraham to Abraham in Genesis 12. And the emphasis of so many Psalms is the nations worshiping God and the missionary enterprise of the early church in Acts. And so I really want to ask you, does this agenda excite you? Because there was a young boy named Samuel who... The, the agenda of God excited him and he lay his life out to God very early in his life. He was just a boy, the Bible says. And he began to have an interest in the things of God. And if you're here and you're just a boy or you're just a girl or there's boys and girls down the hallway and parents, it's very important that you let your kids know that there are people in the Word of God who early on in their life began to have a heart for God so early in their life. The, the, we don't, as parents, please don't ever think that when my kids grow up that we can talk serious about God. Please don't ever make that mistake. Why don't you think instead it's like, man, God was caused... In times in history, God has called very young people to engage with Him and love Him and serve Him. And here it says, the boy Samuel. The boy was already ministering in the presence of God. Do you know that we have boys and girls who are already ministering in the work of God? There are boys and girls who already minister. They minister in our church programs. They minister and they serve and they're happy to serve in They serve other kids. They serve when they go on their little ball teams and their little representatives for God. When they go into their school hallways and they already early in their life have a consciousness and a sensitivity to the things of God. Praise God. That is so exciting. And that's what we read about. And that's why we exist as a church. Samuel had a heart for God at a very early age and wanted to follow God's will. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was the little boy Samuel's heart. Is that your heart? Is your heart, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done on earth. In heaven, your will is done. It's only right that your will would be done here. Who, why would it ever not be right for the will of God to be done? Your will be done, Lord. In heaven, it's done. I look forward to that day when it's done on earth. And we're praying that way every day. We should be praying, your will be done, God. 
We want to be involved in, in your will. And think about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, even Jesus, in his humanity and in the pain that he was getting ready to suffer, Jesus prayed, Lord, I know I'm getting ready to go to the cross. Maybe there's some other way, but not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus was surrendering. His flesh knew what he was getting ready to face. But his heart was 100% committed to the will of his Father. It's like, Lord, I know there is no other way. Your will be done. And, and have you done that? Are you there? Have you surrendered to the will of God? Would you be willing today to renew your commitment to God's agenda? Would you lay your schedule before God right now? Would you just simply say, Lord, what is your will? I want to I be where you, I want to be at the center. I want to be, I want to hear you. I want to give my life to you. I want to be devoted to you. I truly do. I don't know if I numbered these very well. The first one was there are many dark times in history. The second one is God is always moving his agenda forward. To give the nations to Jesus. The third one is Samuel had a heart for God at a very early age and wanted to follow God's will for his life. So early in his life. What an encouragement, parents. And number four, God chose Samuel to be a prophet judge in order to prepare the way for King David who was to prepare for King Jesus. You see... Samuel was born in a time in history where the next big event was to establish King David. Samuel was born in a time, the next big event on God's agenda was to establish David and the Davidic covenant and to establish a throne in Jerusalem. That was was Samuel's big moment, big calling. That was next on God's redemptive Timetable. The next big event was to establish Jerusalem with the king and the temple of God and to put David on that throne. And then when David came along, the next big thing was to establish Jesus as king. The biggest thing was to establish Jesus as the king. But in redemptive history, before that happened, there were some things that had to happen. And that is that Jesus... Uh, David had to be king, and then there was this Davidic monarchy or this Davidic lineage and this um, line of kings all leading up to the real event was when Jesus would become king and Jesus would go to the cross. And then we live, up until that moment, everything was moving towards the cross of Christ and everything was going to happen with the cross of Christ coming. All from, from the moment sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve disobeying God, everything was moving toward the promise of the Messiah, the King. Samuel was a prophet judge. Jesus was a prophet priest king. Everything, every Old Testament prophet pointed to Jesus the prophet. Every Old Testament priest pointed to Jesus the far better priest. Every Old Testament king pointed to Jesus the only king that could reign and rule and bring in the kingdom of God. And so everything was moving to the cross. But we live on this side and we have two directions we look. We look back to the cross because that was the most significant moment in the history of the world 
We look at the cross where Jesus defeated Satan and won the victory for us and atoned for our sin. And Jesus did all these things. And then we, we look back to the cross. We always, always are thinking about the cross and the good news of Jesus that God sent his son. And there at the cross, Jesus atoned for, paid for my sins. So we always were a backward looking people. And we're a forward-looking people where Jesus is coming again. Remember the first time Jesus came incognito. No one knew who he was and he came to gain a crown. But when he returns, he won't be incognito. He'll be wearing a crown. When Jesus came the first time, he was riding on a brown donkey. But he's going to return riding on a white horse. He's going to come. He went and was rejected as king. They called him king and then days later they rejected him. They mocked him. They, they had a, the triumphal entry wasn't really very triumphal. It was more of a prophetic moment. It was a prophetic moment. They were fulfilling prophecy and Jesus came and they claimed him to be king and then several days later they screamed for him to be crucified. So Jesus came and his triumph was short-lived in terms of the eyes of the people but he went to that cross and gained the victory there. He comes back as the victor to collect the spoils of war. And so he's going to come back. And we're living, we're living in this period. I, I think if this is the cross and this is Jesus' return, I think we're somewhere right about here. And I think he's coming soon. I don't know how soon. I don't know what soon means. They said he was coming soon in the first century. But they believed it was soon. And we're, I believe it is soon. And I don't know, I don't know how long it will be. I just believe we're getting closer. And Samuel was in love with God and God's agenda. And therefore Samuel was committed to that stage of history in which he lived to carry out the will of God. And that's why he heard God. Because God knew that Samuel had a heart for God. And so God could hear when God called him. And four times he called him. The first time Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, like he slept there. He went to bed at night in the temple of God. In the temple, it was really the, the tabernacle at that time. And then it says, the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli, like he didn't recognize the voice of God. And I, may, I suspect that when God first began calling you, that maybe you didn't recognize the voice of God. It's like, who is that? And then he came a second time, and he said, Samuel. And he said, here I am, you called me, and he runs to Eli again. In verse 7 it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him, but God was revealing himself to him. And then the third one, it's the, the Lord called to Samuel again the third time, and he says, here I am, you called me. And then Eli figured out what was happening. Eli figured out that God is calling you. And he said, go back this time and say, he, he said, it's God calling you. And this time, tell God you're listening. And so the fourth time, the Lord came calling at other times. And Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant here. So finally, he was all open. 
Maybe some of God, maybe some of you have been called of God once. And you're like going, I, I don't recognize that voice. And you thought maybe it was just, I don't know, just uh, maybe you had thoughts of God. And you go, ah, not, not that much, not that important. And then a second time and God begins to work in your life. Maybe it happened shortly after like with Samuel. Or maybe it happened a long time later. Maybe a year later, two years later. And God comes again and he speaks to you and he's calling you. You feel something in your heart. But you're still not sure exactly what it is. And so you kind of go back to sleep. And then you go a little bit farther in your life. And, and what happened with, with Samuel came, you know, he, he went back and he lay down and he waited. And so maybe some of you are on your third, you're on your third call. God has reached out to you powerfully, clearly, once, twice, three times. Maybe, maybe some of you are sitting here and you're going like, three times I've been in a service where I just really felt God speaking to my heart, but I've been very reluctant to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe it's like, well, I, I, I saw something in, in a movie or I saw something, I heard a sermon one time, or there's a song that comes on the radio and God has been speaking to you through some, some means and, and and now he's just speaking to you. Maybe today is your fourth time like Samuel. It can happen the first time. But maybe God has been speaking to you and you just haven't been listening. Or you've been reluctant. Or you haven't been quite sure. Who, who is that? Is that? Is that another spiritual influence in my life? Like Samuel had Eli? Or is it, is it God? And maybe today there could be someone in this room. It's God. I've had several opportunities to get right with God and I've walked past them. I would say be careful because there's no guarantee there'll be another time. The God, God doesn't say, here's the number of times I will call you before I quit. Here's the number of times I've given you several opportunities to respond to me and you never have. Be careful that you don't just walk out on God and say, you know what, I'm just not that interested. I'll get back to you, God. Because it could be your last summons. I would think that every time God is calling you, we should think that way. So God called Samuel to be a prophet. And so he was going to begin to speak. So I just... I want to wrap this up by trying to help you see. I want to share with you some of the ways God has spoken in my life. And I think when we get to, we've been talking about spiritual gifts. And one of the questions in spiritual gifts is like, well, how does God speak to us today? And there's some gifts in the list of spiritual gifts. And we've talked a lot about speaking in tongues. We've talked about... Uh, we haven't talked about some of what I would call the speaking gifts, prophecy. We have talked a little bit about word of knowledge, word of wisdom. But there are speaking gifts. And the speaking gifts, most of the speaking gifts center around people explaining and proclaiming the word of God. So you have preaching the word of God. And God gifts people. 
and calls people to preach the Word of God. And you have teaching gifts, and God teach, gifts people in the church of Christ to teach the Word of God. And then you have what could be called a word of knowledge where God will speak to someone's heart and they have something to say to other people. It could be an exhortation and the gift of exhortation. It could be a word of encouragement. It could be encouragement. It could be, um, it could be something that would be prophetic. Now, there's, there's a, a, just like there's a lot of debate around speaking in tongues, there's a lot of debate around what prophecy looks like. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a position that's a little bit different from the position that I always heard. But I have been studying this for years, and I've never, ever thought of myself as an expert. I've never quite had handles. But I'm just going to tell it to you the way I, the way I understand it right now. This is the Word of God, and there is nothing like it. And I would call God's Word the written revelation of God. It was given, inspired, we're told, in 1 Peter, we're told um, in 2 Timothy that this is the God-breathed Word of God. This was written by men to whom God spoke... And God not only spoke to them, He informed to them, you need to write this down. So these was what would be called, all the writers in this book would be called the writing prophets. And then there through history have been speaking prophets. And there have been, in the days of Elijah, there was a school of prophets. And and there are um, prophets in the New Testament like Agabus. And when you read In the New Testament, there were prophets of God, and they spoke. God spoke to them, and they communicated God's message to others. And their words were not written into this book. There's a distinction between the written Word of God and what someone else might receive from God. The speaking prophets weren't always writing everything down. They weren't always told to. Sometimes a prophet might speak to a single church or a single person or might address Paul or Paul might address another. And there were prophets in the New Testament church and they spoke from God, but they were never confused between what was the written Word of God. The written Word of God is our standard It alone is our standard. I'm not responsible for what God might say to you, and you can't come to me and say, well, God told me this, but that I'm going to pick up this book and say, well, that doesn't correspond to the Word of God, so you can go do that if you want to. I'm not. Because I think what you're saying is contrary to the revealed Word of God in His Word. That doesn't mean I have complete prerogative to say there is no way that God spoke to you because He never does that anymore. I do not believe that anywhere in this Bible God ever says He'll never speak anymore. And here's what it means. Here's ways in my life that I believe God has spoken to me and communicated to me primarily and everything I believe about God is anchored in this book. My convictions and beliefs in God are anchored in this book. 
But do you know there's such a thing as prayer? And do you know that I believe God has guided me in prayer? There are times when I've been on my knees crying out to God, and I believe that God was giving me divine guidance. And He was speaking to me. And He wasn't speaking apart or contrary from the Word of God. Many times I think God was bringing to my memory Scripture verses. But even His ability to do that is miraculous. There's an exchange that takes place. Do you know that there are lessons that God, I believe God has impressed upon my life in the middle of situations? I'll give you a few examples. I have watched movies before. And in that movie, something struck me that was very important for my life. Maybe I saw or heard someone. I'll say, I'll give you an example. Let's just say that I watch Braveheart. And God speaks to me in that movie and says, you need to be more brave for me. You need to be more brave for me. You need to be willing to lay your life down for me. It's not a scripture verse. But I honestly believe that there's times that there are times when I've been in the hospital and I've watched someone give their last breath. And I feel the Spirit of God many times telling me, you need to take life seriously. There, I have watched people change because of some moment in which their heart was open to receive from God truth. And he speaks to them and he directs it into the situation. There are times, you know what, there's a song when I have my quiet times. There's a song I remember from years ago by a, a guy named Larnell Harris. I haven't listened to Larnell Harris in 25 years. But there's a song that he sang, and in that song was this little phrase that said, I miss my time with you. That's not written in Scripture. It's not Scripture. It's not in this revelation. But that still speaks to me. And there's times where I don't have a hunger for God. And I remember something in a song of all things. And it said, I miss my time with you. Have, you. have you not ever, has God not ever spoken to you and to your heart through a song? Like today when you were worshiping God, some of you were clapping. Why? Because they were performing well? No, because the voice of God, your heart was open to God. There is a verse in this book in 1 John chapter 4. And it says, test the spirits to see if they be of God. Because there are many false prophets. It doesn't say only read the Bible because there are no other prophets. It says God speaks in many wonderful ways. And he's given you this book. And you better check out what you hear because it may not be of God. But I just want to say that God has spoken in my life sometimes through a conversation. Do you know I've been sitting on a bus or an airplane before and I've overheard a conversation behind me and just grips my heart. It's like, oh my word. Or I've been listening to someone witness to another person and it just speaks to my heart. Or I've been in many situations. So here's, here's my challenge to you.
as I look over these spiritual gifts, and I think about the many ways that God gifts and communicates, do you not, I believe that someone who can give a word of encouragement anointed by God is speaking into your life. I believe that if someone can give you an exhortation and they can speak into your life when blessed by the Spirit of God, I believe that someone can teach devoid of the Spirit of God, using the very Word of God, and it's just like boring and dull. Or maybe they're right on, but you're boring and dull because you're not walking in fellowship with God. I just believe that when people open their hearts to God, there are times when God has spoken to me and I'm sitting on the beach looking out over the ocean. One of the most powerful experiences I can sometimes have when I'm on vacation is when I'm jogging down the beach. I have headphones in my ear. I'm running on the sand. It's beautiful as everything. I see the mighty ocean. And sometimes I had headphones in my ears. And I am so worshiping God because I'm listening to the Psalms as I run. And God just takes that and speaks to me in that moment and says, aren't I glorious? I'm reading his words, seeing the power of his creation. He's speaking to me with special revelation, his word and natural revelation, his power and glory. He speaks to me in conversation sometimes. He speaks to me through you sometimes. Sometimes people will say something to me and it just digs deep inside of me. Sometimes I don't like it at first. And then I have to go back and go, am I just being a spoiled little child and I'm complaining because I'm super sensitive? Or is God speaking to me through a criticism or a compliment? I guess my point is this. You won't hear God until you want to. Opens the door. Opens the door. If you're not hearing from God, In life, in providence, in his circumstances, and in his word. It's because you don't want to. And Samuel wanted to. Be like Samuel. Samuel was just a boy. And he already had a heart for God. Isn't that awesome? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for... Your word is so powerful and just teaches. Thank you for this lesson about Samuel and he became a prophet of God. And Lord, we know that everything he prophesied isn't written down in Scripture. But we do love Scripture, God, and Scripture is the guide. So I pray, Father, that nothing I say today would make anyone think in any way that we would ever want to detract from the power of Scripture. But also, Father, we thank you that you speak to us through many different experiences and moments in our lives that lead us to Scripture. Lord, I pray that if you're speaking to anyone this morning, if there's anyone here that says, I want to open my heart to hear God. I pray for you right now, brother or sister, young or old, I pray for you right now. If you're sitting in here and you're saying, I want to hear from God. Lord God, begin to speak into that person's life right here, right now. Begin to speak into anyone's heart that says, speak, Lord. Your servant listens. If that's you today, right now, Lord Jesus, walk into this person's life and begin to speak your love, your grace, your forgiveness, 
your power, your hope. In Jesus' name, amen.